Well, guys, uh, it feels if it, it hasn't actually been that long, but it feels like I have not been up here, like speaking to you guys, like from God's word for a while, like because last week was Family Feud, which was awesome, and uh, and then the week before that I was gone, and uh, Claire Cosper held down the fort and brought God's word, which is awesome. Um, tonight though, I'm back, so it's really nice to be with you guys. I miss this when I'm not. I'm not here with you guys. Um, tonight, I want to start by telling you guys a story about a young lady who I went to, uh, I went to high school with, well, middle school and high school. Um, and her name was Ashley Burns. Um, funny enough, like, I didn't actually tell my wife this part of the story. Like, she was actually my first girlfriend, which means absolutely nothing, because, like, that just means we told people that. You guys know, right? That's what you do. All right? So, uh, so, uh, but Ashley had just had this great big heart to see things other people didn't necessarily see in the world around her. And it was really cool because we used to, like I was, I grew up in, uh, in Southern California in this place called Riverside. Woo -woo. All right. Uh, none of you care. See, like in, when you're Washington, you're like Riverside. Everybody's like, what is that? Right. Okay. So uh, like, if you ever guys watch like a stand-up comedian and they're like, it's, I'm from New York, and there's like three people in the crowd, like, yay! Like, that never happens when I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Like, I'm from Riverside. Yeah! yeah! Thank you! You've never been there. Okay, cool. All right, so here's, here's what it means. It means I live like 35, 40 minutes without traffic, which is never the case, uh, from Disneyland. That's all you need to know, okay? But grew up in Riverside, and because we were in Southern California, we were situated in such a way that Mexico is very, very close. Like, you know how... Canada is like just a, a short drive from us. Like I was on the other end, like the south end of our country, and Mexico was really close. All right, so Mexico is super close. We used to do these Mexico mission trips every summer. So we would go down and for like a week at a time, we would stay in tents and we would build homes. And I came from a huge youth group, just ginormous. And so we would go down and at, at any given week, we would build like 20 homes in a week. We had like a bunch of different teams building these homes. And if you went to these villages where we were, the first thing you guys would obviously notice is the condition of the homes. Like it's the thing that just screams at you. Like especially even where you guys live, even if you feel like, you know, my house is much or I live in an apartment or, or whatever it is. Like if you were at their homes, you would be like, whoa, I'm like really thankful for what I have. Okay. Because these homes were, were literally, a lot of them were, were just four garage doors like kind of leaned into each other with some type of tarp roofing there was something just to keep them dry like a cement slab and there would be like 10 people sleeping in that and we would go down and we would build homes with like a living room and two bedrooms and a loft like something just even a little bit better but it had electricity and you know water and like all that good stuff okay and so we would build these homes and when we went down that's what we all noticed because we're all working real hard on these homes and Ashley would go out and she would play in the street with the kids. She would go play soccer like every day and she was horrible at it, okay? But she would go play soccer with kids. And the thing that she noticed was all the kids she was interacting with for the most part, none of them had shoes. They're running around in these villages in, in Mexico, in Tijuana. It's dirty. The streets aren't paved. There's, there's trash everywhere which means there's broken glass and nails, all kinds of things these kids could step on. There's no shoes, nothing to protect their feet. And that's the thing that she noticed. And this, this passion ignited in her. And she came back home and she was like, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to put on a shoe drive. 
But I'm not talking like people's old, nasty, crusty shoes. No, 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 no. Like they need to either be like gently used or new. And her passion ignited our youth group to start doing the shoe drive, which ignited something within our church to do it. She was like 15 years old when she started doing this. She couldn't even drive. But she organized adults and church vans and shoe drives in order to make this happen. One teenage girl made all this happen, which changes the everyday experience for these kids. Changes it. And she did that because of her deep love for not just those people, but that deep love poured out of a deep love for Jesus. Now, here's the cool thing, is that we collected hundreds of pairs of shoes. And instead of going down once a year for a week, we would go down like once every other month for a day and hand out shoes and games and tell Bible stories and do all kinds of cool stuff with these kids. And that started this movement. In fact, to the point where my youth pastor... But be at, we, like, youth pastors do this weird thing. We call them, like, youth pastor gatherings where you just get together and we talk about you guys for, for lunch. I'm just kidding. We talk about you. We talk about student ministry. Okay. But we get together and we talk, right? And so he would go to youth pastors gatherings and he would say, yeah, like, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from VCC. You guys don't even know what that means. Okay. VCC, Victoria Community Church. Churches are really slick with names, right? Alderwood Community Church. We're in Alderwood Manor. That's the area we're at. Okay. Victoria Community Church is on Victoria Avenue. Okay. But he would say, VCC. And they, like, youth pastors at some point would start saying, I know about your church. You're the church that does the shoe drives and does the Mexico trips, right? It's because their kids and their youth groups had heard about it. And they said, why don't we do something like that? What do we got to do? How can, how can we get involved? And tonight, see, it's that very thing that I want to talk about. The idea that her reputation, the thing that she had a passion for, for loving people because she loved God, that that ignited a passion in her that in turn set a reputation on our youth group because of a passionate love for people. Our big idea tonight is this. How we love Jesus and others speaks loudly to those around us. It speaks so loudly. And we're going to look, if you guys have not been paying attention, you didn't see what was up there before, this is a study in the book of First Thessalonians. Thessalonians, right? First Thessalonians, Okay. This book is, is actually a letter written by three guys named Paul, Silas, and Timothy to a church that's in a place called Thessalonica. So the people there are Thessalonians, right? You are Washingtonians, right? So that's, or yeah, I'm a Californian who's transplanted, okay? Uh, but it was written to these people. Paul and Silas, giving you a little bit of backstory to this, Paul and Silas had gone there and had shared the gospel. They'd shared the good news that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, had come to this earth, had suffered and died on the cross for the, our sin, the things that separate us from God, had, and then rose again, conquering sin and death, that he had become the savior of the world. And they shared this message with the church or with the people, sorry, not their church, there was church, shared this message with the people who lived in Thessalonica, and that ignited a church. It ignited a bunch of followers of Jesus. But then they got chased out. There were some people who didn't like that so much. They chased Paul and Silas out because they wanted to kill them. They left and they sent back this guy named Timothy, this young pastor. And he went there and he told them all about how to follow Jesus. And then he left after two years. And in order to keep connected with this church, they're writing this letter. And that's where we pick up. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10 says this. It'll be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. But if you do want a Bible, we have them in the back. You can take one of those home. They're for you guys, okay? 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. You became, speaking to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message, the message of Jesus, in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, we're going to jump right into what does this mean? What can I take home? Tonight, if you can only take one thing home, take home this. Okay, it's not even one of my things from this passage, the application. It's what drives everything in this passage is Jesus. We say this a lot in ASM, that there is a God who loves you, likes you, and wants you. And he, he has those feelings about you so much that he sent his only son to die for you, to pay a penalty you could not pay so that you could have restored relationship with a God who we all sin against, who made you who loves you, likes you, and wants you. And that's the driving force for everything that's happening in this passage. Take one thing home. Take home the knowledge that there's a God who loves you, likes you, and he wants you. But then there's another thing. Maybe you'll take one of these too. First thing I see in this passage is that we all need to do what the Thessalonians did. They found someone to copy. Now, when we say find someone to copy, like there's some negative connotations to the word copy. Okay, nobody wants to be a copycat. Nobody wants to be, I don't know if this is still in style or like a word you guys use, but when I was younger, it was like, nobody wants to be a biter. Is that the whole thing? No, not at all. But leaders are like, I know what that is. Okay, okay, some of my younger leaders don't know. All right, why are you biting, bro? All right, anyway, wow, aged myself. Didn't think I could do that at 35. Okay, well, anyways, here we go. But here's the thing. They found someone to copy. And they copied Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They copied the way that they followed Jesus. And there's some examples of how this is kind of frowned on. Maybe some ways that we, we think of copying as like a bad thing. Like in your school, your teachers would probably consider copying someone else's work, someone else's homework, or copying off of somebody else's test. That's not a good thing. That's like copying's not good. Or maybe copying someone else has a negative tone. Like if you're mocking someone or maybe you find it annoying when somebody copies you, like they think you're cool, but you don't think they're cool. So when they copy you, that's not cool. Follow? All right. Okay. But I want you to think about this. How does someone who doesn't know something, how do they learn? Like what do you think of like a baby? If you guys are older siblings, maybe you remember a baby being around or a younger sibling and the way that they learned, and it might've even been annoying to you at the time, the way they learn is by copying what you do. Right now at my house, we have a baby, not, not, not a human baby. No, we have, a, we, those of you that know me well, you never thought you would see me have a tiny dog. Okay. But my daughter broke me down. Okay. I have a tiny dog. And this tiny dog is like three months old, but I have an eight pound monster at home too. And she has been copying the things that he does. The things that he does that are good, like peeing outside the house. 
Those are good. That's a good thing. I want her to copy him. Even though her peas are like really small and they're cute and like easy to clean up. Yeah, that's right. I said it. All right. So, but here's the thing. She is learning. Violet is learning from Gunner what the proper way is to behave in our house. She's learning how to follow in our house. And we all copy someone. We all do. I know all of you think that you are a beautiful snowflake that is completely unique and there is only one of you. But you are wearing what you're wearing. You style your hair the way you do. You do the things you love doing because someone else did it too and you thought, that's pretty cool. Or you saw someone playing a sport and you're like, I like that. You didn't come up that sport. Okay, here's the thing. We all copy areas of life. So this shouldn't be new to us. For me, the way that the person that I chose when at our last church we were at, I chose this man named Steve Ray. And I asked Steve like, hey man, can I just, can I just follow the way that you follow Jesus? Like I just want to sit with you and learn from you. And I want you to speak into my life. And we all need to find someone that we can copy. Who's going to shoot you straight? Someone who is, I'll say it this way too, someone who is further along in the process than you are. Now, you might be sitting here going, Curtis, I follow, I, I do this, I copy someone. Like, there's this person in my small group, there's this other guy, there's this other girl, and like, they've known Jesus longer than me, and like, that's good. They're a peer. I want you to follow somebody who's been in the game of following Jesus longer, and is further along in life than you. There's wisdom to that. You should build each other up. You should be examples to each other. But here's the thing you wouldn't do. And sometimes we think like, oh, well, like, well, we'll just do it together and like, it's fine because like you, you do it and I do it. Like, no, okay. That's good and has its place, but that's not what we're talking about right here. When we're talking about copying someone, you guys wouldn't endeavor to go up Mount Rainier and follow somebody else who's like one of your buddies. And they're like, this is the first time I've done it too. <laughs> you know why? Because people die when they do that. Yeah. People die on our lovely local mountain every year. Okay. So here's the thing. You would take an experienced guide. Some of you guys know there was a guy at our church named Tim Walton. Tim Walton is like super old, but like way more fit than anyone in this room, okay? And he leads people up Mount Rainier. You know why he can do that and why people trust him? Because he's done it like a bazillion times. You need to follow somebody who's gone ahead of you. Make sure that the ones that you copy are offering something worth copying. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 through 11, 1 ends this way. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is actually Paul again writing another letter to a church in a place called Corinth, and he's trying to encourage them. We need to follow people who are following Jesus and follow their example. Now, the next thing I'll say that is this from this passage that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians. What you do with Jesus matters. Inversely, I would say what you don't do with Jesus matters. If you're somebody in this room right now who's saying, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. If that's you, you said, I have committed my life to Christ. I've accepted what he's done for me across. What you do with Jesus matters. And what you don't do with Jesus matters. And here's why. You are plan A for how God intends to reach the people you know in your life. You are plan A. And here's the crazy thing. This is the thing that's so scandalous, so crazy about God's plan. There's not a plan B. You are plan A, plan one, the only plan. 
the church is the only plan. Acts 1.8 says this. This is a guy named Luke who wrote this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This is, he's quoting Jesus here. Jesus says you will be what? My witnesses. In where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where they were. Judea, Samaria, those are the places that are around them. The ends of the earth, that's pretty self-explanatory, am I right? All right, so everywhere, right? See, the influence of the Thessalonians is what Paul actually put in this passage. Acts 1.8 is actually mirrored in 1 Thessalonians 1.8. It follows the same kind of thing. And what he says in verse 8 is this. You can throw up verse 8, 1 Thessalonians. It probably has two things there. Okay, it says this. The Lord, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, those are the cities nearby. Your faith in God has become known everywhere, the ends of the earth. They're mirroring what was said by Jesus. What if ASM or Alderwood Community Church, ACC, what if it was to look this way? What if like, if, you, if somebody said, like, what'd you do last night? And you're like, I went to ASM. And they're like, oh, ASM, I know those people. They, they like really believe what, I'm, I don't necessarily believe what they believe, but they really believe it. And they love people, man. They, wow, like crazy love people in a way that's like, it's, it's weird. Cause like, they are just so kind. And the way that they take care of each other's needs, like I don't see that anywhere else. That was their reputation. I mean, would Paul be able to write this same letter about us? I put it up there for you. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Linwood and Snohomish County. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Guys, we have more people coming to ASM Middle School than ever before. It is exciting. It is so cool. That means some of you in here, you're serious about the fact that you love Jesus and you bring your friends because that's important to you. But they know about that too. That's awesome. I think we're on our way. We could be a church, we could be a youth group that Paul might describe this way. We might there. But how we treat others in Jesus' name matters. I want to be clear about one thing as we talk about this point, this. If you call yourself a Christian, everything you do reflects some version of Jesus to anyone who's paying attention to the way that you live your life. Everything you do paints the way that someone else will interpret who Jesus is. Because you are what? According to Jesus' own words in Acts 1-8, you're his witnesses. Other passages have said that you're his ambassadors. You represent him. How do you represent him? Because our reputation has the ability to do one of two things. Your reputation has the ability to amplify or suppress the influence that you have for Jesus in someone else's life. Now, lest we consider like this all works-based and like, okay, I just got to do the right things and it'll show people that I follow Jesus. Or if I do the right things, then I've earned a place in heaven. That is not what I'm saying. And I think that's not what Paul's saying because the end of this, we need to understand the tail end of this passage talks about the motivation for all of it. And it's Jesus. Our motivation is Jesus. Plain and simple. I heard it said recently, if there was someone who predicted their own death, burial, 
and resurrection, meaning got up from being dead, and then they pulled it off, we should do whatever that person says. Makes sense, right? I don't know about any of you, but I can't die tonight and then decide I'm done and get up. It doesn't happen. Our motivation is Jesus because Jesus did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. See, the Thessalonians, I want you to understand there's some context that gets lost here. We hear like, oh, in, in, in the end of this passage, it says they turned away from false idols and started following Jesus. Okay, cool. Like, because we don't understand that. We live in America where it's like, you do you, live your truth. We live in a, in a country where we express freedom of worship. So if you move from one religion to another, that's not like, we don't think it's a deal. But understand that for the Thessalonians, when they walked away from idol worship, from worshiping false gods, and then turned to follow Jesus only, not adding not adding Jesus to the plate of God's worshiping. No, Jesus alone. God alone. They walked away from everything they once knew. Some of them were ostracized by their families. They were persecuted. People were trying to kill Christians. This was a big deal to say, you walked away from idol worship to Jesus worship. See, they understood something here. We can't split our worship, and expect to make any kind of a difference. You can't. You can't be somebody who talks out of both sides of their mouths. This, this very idea is expressed in something we've called in, in ASM, Jesus first. Jesus first. He's the only one worthy of all our worship. Luke 16, verse 13, this is Jesus speaking himself. Luke records this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he's using money because he's talking to somebody who loves money. You can put whatever you want in there. You cannot serve God and any other thing. Now, I'm going to say something that might sting, and then I'll backpedal it a little bit, okay? Some of you in this room, you need to stop being an idol in your life. Something has become an idol in your life. It's taking the place of Jesus. You need to walk away from it maybe. Or maybe you need to like reprioritize. Some of you are so in love and worship your sport you play that Jesus has no room in your life. Some of you are so in love with getting the best grade possible that there's no room for Jesus in your life. Some of you are so in love with things that are shiny I want the best and the newest that you can't see Jesus past all of it. And some of you need to give some things up. And that's even hard for me, guys. There are things that I love. And I have to constantly express to myself that I have to write, prioritize my life. There's a concept here of serving two things, right? I, I want to tell you a quick story and then we're going to end and get into small groups. I remember I played uh, high school football right? I know I'm built for it, <laughs> right? But all right, just kidding. All right. Uh, I also played high school tennis. Like that doesn't make sense either. All right. Um, like, cause you look at me and you're like, there's no way you sprinted for hours. Right. Um, but I played football and in football, you have multiple coaches. Now, if those coaches are not on the same page on how to coach, like it can be really infuriating. And you are, at some point, you are going to have to choose which coach you're going to listen to. 
You're going to have to. You can't do both. You can't do both things. You can't do what they both want if they're asking you to do two different things. And my defensive backs coach, Coach Sanchez, was telling me to do things way different than my head coach, who I like never saw because like he's the head coach and I was always with the defensive backs. And Coach Sanchez would tell me how to play and how to rip the football and how to tackle and how to do all these things. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do what he says and not what Coach McNamara, my head coach, says. Guess what? This passage was absolutely true in a very real sense on a football team. I began to despise the instruction of Coach McNamara because I loved Coach Sanchez. You cannot serve two masters. Now, I said I was going to back off of you on the, the sports or the, the education. I was, I'm going to. Because maybe you're saying here going, you know what, Curtis? But I use my influence for Jesus on my team. I use my influence for Jesus in my academics. But what I'm saying to you is if Jesus never permeates, if Jesus never crosses from your mouth, if the way that you love others is not evident in those circles, and that thing has become more important to you than Jesus, it's an idol. Those things can be used for Jesus, but if they're not being used for Jesus, you might want to check it. Anything other than Jesus' motivation is subpar. There are lots of good people out there who mean well, but offer nothing. And if you follow Jesus, then the message you carry is the same message. This is so cool to me. I thought about this the other day, and I was like, this is mind-blowing to me. 2,000 years ago, there was a church full of people, and it was called Thessalonica. And the thing that set them apart is the thing that can set you and I apart. We are connected through the message of Jesus. Thousands of years of people who have followed Jesus were connected to the very same thing that they found hope in. We carry the hope of eternity. There is no greater motivation than Jesus. And the Thessalonians understood this. They did. And tonight, I want you to wrestle with this question. This will be your question for small group. We're going to give you a moment to go, about it, go to, uh, to, to worship here. But this is your thought. This is your, your question right up here. How could SM, your small group, and finally maybe just you, influence those around us as everyday followers of Jesus? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the way in which you love us. God, that you're a God who loves us, likes us, and wants us. God, I pray that we would continue to keep you, Jesus, at the forefront of what we do. That we would follow the example of the Thessalonians, but also that we would follow someone else's example. That we would find someone who we can follow them as they follow you. God, that we would keep Jesus and what you've done, Jesus, at the center and at the front of our motivation for why we do what we do. And we would understand that what we do with your message and what with you, Jesus, it matters. And what we don't do with you and your name, it matters. Because there are people watching. And you have given us an area of influence in our lives. And we are plan A. Not only plan A, we're the only plan. And I actually pray that, God, that rests heavy on our hearts. That we would understand the magnitude of that. God, that we would take our faith seriously. And as we think about ASM, we be asking the question continually, God, who will I bring? It's in your name we pray. Amen.